are finishing Daniel chapter 2, which we didn't quite seem to get through last time. In fact, the good part is tonight. And this morning, we didn't get very far into chapter 3 at all, so we'll just see what happens. Um, all right. And uh, we're, so we're uh, in, in about verse 30 or 31, I'm going to try this, uh, because it's the place where Daniel uh, begins to describe the king's dream. And um, as you're following along, I'm going to comment, um, as I have a couple of other times, I have the evangelical heritage version on the screen with every single verse that we go through. Um, you're welcome to follow along in your NIV or looks like you got a King James there, Deb. Is that no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, that's that's a that's a great example of a true Christian's Bible. Um, I like to see them falling apart, and all of mine have covers that are. Do you know that one day the the, the Bible I use every single day, I tore off the cover accidentally um, because I had a stack of books in my. What did I used to drive the hot rod in college? Um, what was it called? It was, uh, um, uh, oh, I f- even forget. It was, uh, anyway, it had bucket seats and a long front. And I, 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 so that's all I know about cars is that it was, my friends thought it was cool and I had no idea what it even was, but it was red and everything. But, uh, but it had automatic seats and I was putting the seat back to actually get my son's car seat out. And I made the seat go back too far and I tore the cover off my Bible with the electric seat of, uh, yeah, so, oh well. But it, many, many, many layers of tape later, it still serves me. But let's go to Daniel here. So Daniel, that, what, what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, um, Thunderbird, that's what it was. I was driving a Thunderbird. Anyway, um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and woke up and either couldn't remember it or was testing his magicians and his soothsayers and his wangatours and his mundanugus and whatever else they were called and uh, was testing to see if they could figure out what the dream had been. Daniel knew. Uh, After a night of prayer, Daniel and his friends figured out or were given by God, rather, what the dream actually was and Daniel now reveals not only the dream but its meaning to the king. So, you, your majesty, were looking, and there a very great stat where was a great, very great statue. That statue, which was large and extremely bright, was standing in front of you. Its appearance was frightening. I'm sure it was not this punt, pass, and kick football trophy, but anyway, uh, we have this picture of it, though. The statue looked like this. Is it on the screen? Yeah. Its head was fine gold. Its chest and its arms were silver, its abdomen and its thighs were bronze, its shins were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. You continued to watch until a stone was cut, and Daniel says, not by human hands. And I've kind of wondered about this phrase. I've thought about this and meditated on it, and I'm wondering if maybe even Nebuchadnezzar didn't notice in the dream that the stone here was not cut by human hands. But Daniel points that out to him. That's an important point. The kind of thing, do you ever have a dream and you don't, there's so much going on that you hardly even notice everything and Daniel points out this important point. The stone wasn't cut, so it's not from human hands at all. 
It struck the statue on its feet that were iron and clay, and it smashed them. So it smashes the feet, and what do you think happened to a gigantic statue when the bottom got smashed? Do you think it fell forward? Because I... Have you seen The Lord of the Rings? The Return of the King? Do you remember what happens at the end to Barad-dur? It doesn't fall over. It kind of... Well, kind of like the Trade Center did, right? It kind of just comes down uh, like that, and it just begins to... And I'm wondering if that's what Daniel's describing here, is that the, when the feet were gone, it didn't maybe topple, but it just kind of all comes... Because, he says, all at once, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed and became like the chaff on the threshing floors of summer. What's chaff? Is that a bad surfer's nickname? Hey, chaff. No. What, uh, what, what is chaff? Yeah, which, the waste product after your threshing grain. To, when, you, when you cut grain and then you would stomp on it or have the cow stomp on it or put a threshing sledge over it, then you take a pitchfork and throw it up in the air and the stuff that's useless blows away from the wind. You do this on a hillside and the good stuff, the grain itself, falls back down again. And they would do it, they do it with rice still, they do it with grain, with, with uh, wheat and, and barley and other things. And that stuff that blows away, though, it's just junk. You know, it's the kind of stuff you brush off your clothes and, you know... You just sweep up and throw away or burn. So it, that, that's what happens to all of this precious metal, though. The, the iron, yeah, the clay, but the bronze, the silver, the gold. And the wind carried them away, and no trace of them could be found. However, the stone that stuck, struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. So now this other dream thing happens. The stone itself, which was maybe just big enough to hit the feet of the statue, it like it grows, and then it becomes so big that how does, a, how does a single mountain fill the entire earth? Well, it's a dream, right? But that's what happens to this stone that becomes as huge as a mountain. Um, and, and, and then Daniel just says, and that's the dream. So, now we will interpret its meaning, its meaning for your majesty. You, your majesty, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Uh, remember which king this is? Nebuchadnezzar. What's your mental picture of Nebuchadnezzar's mental state? He's, yeah, he's not a king. You know, he's, one, he's a king you want to be careful with. Because it seems like every time Nebuchadnezzar called people in, I kind of wonder if they you know, kind of shivered, like, uh-oh. Like, what's going to happen now? I, this is not a meeting I want to go to. Um, you didn't want to get called. Because even if he flatters you at first, it just means that it's going to be worse in the end. You just didn't want to get in this king's line of vision. Laura? I was actually thinking about that earlier today, that this mm-hmm. was the strongest kingdom, or at least with this statue. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that's just a good reminder for us that, you know, we try and pick our strongest and best leaders, but when it comes down to it, you know, God is the one who controls right. what's going on. Right. And 
maybe in another sense, is it also possible that the, the kingdoms that try to serve the interests of the people the best are sometimes a little bit weaker, you know, seemingly weaker on the outside, but those kings, those, those rulers, whatever they are, are often stronger individuals. You know, I don't know if that's something we can say perhaps about, uh, about a democracy like ours, that uh, uh, it's not a totalitarian state, but what do we know about, the, about the, the countries in the world right now that are dictatorships and, and those dictators? Those, those people are scary people, those dictators. And I'd kind of rather have even a weak president than the guy who's in charge of North Korea and, you know, and things like that. So, all right. So... Um, so Daniel flatters him. Your majesty, king of kings, God has given you a kingdom, power, strength, glory, good stuff. And now he says, wherever there are people, wild animals and birds of the air, God has given them into your hand. And I'd like to say something about that because prior to Babylon, uh, not long before, but prior to Babylon, about 500 years before, Solomon had had one of the world's, maybe the world's very first menagerie. What's a menagerie? A zoo. Yeah, it's a cage with animals in it. And Solomon, in Kings and Chronicles, we're told that Solomon had the animals shipped to him over, from overseas, monkeys and things, got brought to Solomon, and, you know, probably hippos and crocodiles and giraffes and whatever else, uh, you know, okapis and things, got brought in, and, and they got put in Solomon's, I don't know what his zoo would have looked like, probably not steel bars, but maybe uh, just walls and a game preserve, that kind of thing. And then after Solomon's time, near Babylon, but over uh, in your mind, Babylon is where Mesopotamia is or, or Iraq today. If you hang a right, you go into a big, big country called Iran. And then next is Afghanistan. They're both pretty big places. Um, uh, maybe between them about the size of the main part of the U.S. And they had, in, and it's the kingdom of Anshan, and those, that kingdom had animal preserves also. Big parks with big walls, um, not just stone, but they would pile up earth so that like the elephants couldn't break through and things like that. And there are some interesting stories from ancient times about some of those animal preserves because a guy would be running from people trying to catch him, like the authorities, and he would climb up a big hill and then see, oh, there's a big forest down there. He would jump down the, from the top of the hill down the wall and then run into this big game preserve. Then he'd realize where he was, and he'd turn around and there would be like seven lions. Oops, you know, maybe I shouldn't have gone in here, but it's too late now. Uh, so they did that. And now Nebuchadnezzar has it also. Where are we going to see it later in the book? In the lion's den, sure. He had a game preserve of some kind and kept wild animals, including lions. Well, so Daniel says, there are people, wild animals, birds of the air, God has given these things into your hand um, and made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. So God 
um, has done this for for uh, uh, Daniel. Um, I'm sorry, for, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and now, that's just the head. Now we go down uh, a space. And uh, after you, another kingdom will arise that will be inferior to yours. Um, what's that part of the statue made out of? Ezra? Not yet. Silver, silver. So, uh, uh, let's see, how old are you now? Are you 13? You're 12? Okay. So that means in um, seven years when you get engaged, okay, uh, uh, whatever it'll, it'll be, you're, 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 you guys will look at, at engagement rings and you'll look at gold and then you'll look at silver and you will think, that's the difference in price? And yeah, that's the difference in price because gold is expensive and silver is not too expensive, okay? And uh, by the way, silver looks like something called white gold. I'm just... Saying, um, and uh, just keep that in the back of your mind. And um, so, silver, pretty but inferior. And by the way, if Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was the first one, the gold one, whose kingdom is the second one, the silver one? Jamus? Yeah, the Medes and Persians combined. Um, and we're gonna in, in Daniel's time in this book, we're gonna get to the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Um, so Daniel's gonna live to see two of these. And then uh, he goes on. Then another kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze will arise. This kingdom will rule the entire earth. And now the one that took over from the, the, um, from the Persians, the one that conquered the Persians, will be who? Greece. Greece. Specifically, Alexander the Great. And um, uh, Alexander is from northern Greece, which we call Macedonia. Um, if you've read, right now I'm doing devotions on the middle chapters of Acts. Um, we're actually about two-thirds of the way through now, and we just got done with Thessalonica, uh, Philippi first, then Thessalonica, Berea, and uh, those cities are all part of Macedonia. And then down below is, because um, Greece is kind of like one hand on top of another hand. That's the shape of Greece. And the upper part is Macedonia, the lower part is Achaia. That's where Athens and Corinth are. Corinth is actually where they touch. Um, and up here, though, that's where, that's where uh, Alexander was from. In fact, his dad was Philip of Mas Macedon, and that's where the city of Philippi got its name, from Alexander's uh, father, Philip of Macedon. And Alexander just conquered and conquered and conquered. He was an amazing uh, tactician and leader and united his all the city-states of northern Greece together and southern Greece and then armies joined him as he rolled onward through Asia Minor down into Syria over into Mesopotamia conquered Babylon the Medes the Persians and then went on into Anshan and conquered finally the Hindu Kush wait got all the way over to India um, and on his way back, you know what happened to him? I think it was, yeah, maybe from dysentery? Um, a young man's disease, uh, a warrior's disease on the way back. But he was uh, something like 36. After conquering the known world, um, this guy died. And he, he conquered so much that there was too much for one successor to rule. So they divided all of that into four pieces. And the, 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 the India side and the Greek side will leave out of the discussion. But Syria 
and Egypt are the two that come into play with regard to scripture. And the leader of Syria, was, the guy who took, took it over, was his general, Seleucus, and the, called the Seleucid Kingdom. And all of the kings that reigned were called the Seleucid Kings until that was wiped out by the Romans. And the southern part of it, Egypt, was ruled by Alexander's general named Ptolemy, or just Ptolemy, but it starts with a P, uh, a PT. And uh, you may know uh, one of Jesus' disciples was named after that guy, partly. Do you know that guy's name? Bartholomew, son in, in Aramaic, son of Ptolemy. Yeah, probably named after, probably his dad was named Ptolemy after the Ptolemies and then Bartholomew. Um, but those leaders were, um, they were at war with each other and then the, the Maccabees in, in Israel got mixed up in that war in the 100s BC. And to put down the war, the Romans came. And that's this fourth kingdom uh, to end everything. And then that's where we find ourselves in the New Testament now is where the Romans are there, and you kind of wonder, how the Romans get here? Well, the Romans followed the Persians by conquering the Greeks, and that's where we are in, when the Gospel of Matthew opens up. But a fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, since iron crushes and shatters everything. So like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all of these other kingdoms. Um, because you saw feet and toes... Uh, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, this will be a divided kingdom. It will have some of the hardness of iron because you saw iron mixed with common clay. What is more, the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay. This means that part of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. When you make a clay pot or something, is a brittle, you would use a word? You know, is, that, is that how you would describe it? Do you ever at Christmas time get peanut brittle? No? Aaron. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, peanut brittle is actually tougher than clay. So a clay pot will break very easily. You guys have uh, like, a, 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 like a red clay pot outside or maybe in the garage now, something that had flowers in it or something all summer? Anything like that? That's the kind of clay we're talking about here, something that would smash easily. So... And he says, because you saw iron mixed with common clay, the different parts of the kingdom will be a mixture of different races of people. And they will not remain united to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in, by Roman times, uh, or by, by, rather by New Testament times, the Romans were already having trouble with some of the races in, mixed in with the Roman Empire. Can you name a few? There are dozens of them. Gaul, Gaul which is Germany, or, or in France. Um, keep going in that direction. You got the Britons. Um, when did Boudicca live? Around, wasn't it around the New Testament times? Uh, the, 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 the queen of the, um, what were they called? Um, her tribe in uh, eastern Britain, the Iceti. Uh, but uh, they were crushed by the, by the Romans and so forth. Others? Well, the Jews, you know, the Syrians, the Egyptians, all, and there were more, there are many, many more, all the different people of Asia Minor, they, were, they all rebelled against Rome. And kind of when one of them would rise up, the others would rise up. And Rome really never could even handle 
you know, Sicily, Corsica, Sardinia. If you can't handle the islands around your own peninsula, who can you handle? But uh, they always had trouble with, with uh, even, even Sicily, which is, you know, what, two miles away from the tip of the boot? Of, it's the football that the boot kicks, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that thing on your map. Um, but the, yeah, the Romans had trouble and trouble and more trouble. And the Roman governors were the ones who got in trouble if trouble arose. So now you see why Pontius Pilate was a little bit nervous about what to do about Jesus. Because if the Jews rise up, as they had a few times over this, I'm in trouble. So maybe better that he, if, if they want to kill him, let him kill him. That was kind of his attitude about Jesus. Well, 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven, and the, those kings, Rome and its rebellious kingdoms, right? In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another race of people. It will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will stand forever. What's he talking about? The Christian church, yeah, the kingdom, and maybe even as, as the stone itself in, in verse 45 here, just as you saw that a stone was cut, I'll go back to 44, maybe just Christ as the stone that comes and smashes um, and, and sends them all to dust. And you have here um, to, to put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will stand forever in one verse we really have the entire New Testament period and the end of the world. All in one verse. You don't have to have 21 chapters to get to fit in all of the New Testament end to the end of the world. You can do it in just, you know, however many words this is, in one single verse. Um, and Daniel and John show us that over and over again. We can talk about this whole thing in short terms or in long terms. But uh, the kingdom that will never be destroyed, um, the gates of hell will never overcome it. And it will not be left to another race of people. When I was in college, there were a lot of TV commercials for a while that the Mormon church put out that said, did you know that there is another testament of Jesus Christ? And they were giving away free copies of the Book of Mormon, claiming that it was like the Third Testament. Is it the Third Testament? No, no. And uh, it contradicts the rest of Scripture, and that's something that a testament of God would never do. And we know that the Scriptures that we have are the complete revealed Word of God. There is no other testament. Um, and it will not be left to another race of people there won't be another kingdom after the Christian church. Um, there will not be something else that God will raise up. This is it. It will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will stand forever. Um, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze. Did, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the order of the materials shifts as Daniel's saying the dream which to me reminds me that this is an historical account of what happened. 
If this were not, if you read Homer or other long narrative poems like the Iliad, that that is Homer, or Beowulf, um, and you get a list, the list is always the same because it's a refrain and you sing through it. And if you're talking about the ocean, you always say it's the wine dark sea or they, 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 they dug their way through the whale road. What's, what's a whale road? It's the ocean. I've been working on the whale road all the live long day. That's called a kenning when you have a word picture that repeats over and over again. A kenning. Um, but um, this one, but Daniel doesn't resort to kennings. Daniel just says that he gets the, all the materials in, but he switches the order of how they go. So the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to your majesty what will happen after this. The dream is sure and its interpretation is certain. So Daniel just stops there. This is what's going on. O King Nebuchadnezzar, you have the greatest. And then they're going to kind of diminish after that and then a big one's going to come. But does Nebuchadnezzar care about that one that's coming? That's after my time. And isn't that the way kings behave to prophecy in the Bible? I think about Hezekiah when Isaiah goes and talks to him and things like that. And how long will it be before the, before the Assyrians conquer us? Well, hit the, you know, go and shoot an arrow and, or, or hit the ground and, and Hezekiah doesn't care. Oh, it's not going to be in my lifetime. That's good. That's all he cares about. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar does here too. But Nebuchadnezzar fell face down, paid homage to Daniel. Remember, in the, in the, if you weren't here, you don't remember it, but Nebuchadnezzar promised certain gifts to whichever of the wise men could tell him the dream and the interpretation. Now let's look at what he gives to Daniel. So first he fell face down. Then he paid homage to Daniel. He commanded that a sacrificial gift and incense be offered to him. So if you just stick with fell face down, the king does something very personal for Daniel. Isn't that how everybody treated the king? You know, fall face down, drop bow before me. So the king treats Daniel the way the king expects to be treated. That's one. And he does it personally. Then he pays homage to Daniel. Homage is spoken honor. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about what you just did. When we pay homage to somebody, if I were going to, and I think I'm going to have to next June, say something publicly nice about a retiring colleague, um, I will pay homage to him by saying something. You know, I don't know if I'll treat it like a celebrity roast, you know, like Don Rickles or something, but we'll see. Then a sacrificial gift. The king orders a sacrifice to be brought to Daniel, not necessarily sacrificed to Daniel, but to be brought um, and offered. So something that did get offered. And by the way, this was nothing new. Daniel, if you remember, was actually commanded to eat the sacrificial food, you know, in the beginning. But the king now does it publicly. Let's give him what's on my table. This is a big deal. Um, And then finally, incense be offered. Now we get to something that's a little bit different. What did incense represent in God's temple? Prayers. Prayers. What do you think incense represented in Nebuchadnezzar's temple? 
maybe prayers still, but did they think of their prayers as prayers always? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it could be when we, we have, for example, in Acts 17, oh, in Philippi, I mentioned it earlier, we have a girl who is um, uh, possessed by a demon and she is possessed by what Luke calls the Pythia, the python. She has a snake demon that allows her to tell the future. Um, and Paul gets sick of her uh, following him around, yelling at the top of her lungs, this is the prophet of the Most High God. And Paul, I, I get the impression that Paul didn't have the quickest or the, the, the longest fuse in his temper. And uh, Paul finally turns around one day and just, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And drives the demon out, almost in a fit of, you know, just being kind of irked. And, uh, and it does, and the demon leaves her, and her masters get really mad. That's how he gets driven out of, out of Philippi. Um, but maybe people, and, but what people did with her was they came to her and asked her questions, and she would kind of predict the future. Not so much a prayer as what's going to happen. And maybe that's what Nebuchadnezzar is getting at here with the incense. If you have a question about the future and want to know what's going to happen, who's the go-to guy now? It's Daniel. So he's recognizing Daniel as the go-to guy for, you know, if you've got a dream, Daniel's the guy who will answer it. I'm just suggesting that maybe he's not setting Daniel up as a god but setting Daniel up as your doorway to the gods, that kind of thing. Nothing in ne that Nebuchadnezzar ever does suggests that he wanted himself or any other human to be worshipped, but rather we should worship the gods. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was all about. And whether it was his own god of, um, of uh, Nebo or the other common Babylonian god of Bel, we'll talk about Bel later, um, that, uh, that whichever, or, or one of the other ones, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to be worshipped. Then the king said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries. Those are, you know, God of gods means the highest, the most high God, the Lord of kings, the master of the kings, the revealer of mysteries, because you were able to reveal this mystery. Um, and then the king promoted Daniel to a high position, and gave him many valuable gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. I, I, I wonder myself, I think we, we said this in chapter one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who, oh, I'm sorry, we have this other verse. When Daniel requested it, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, and Daniel remained in the royal court. So Daniel's friends get promoted in the province, but where does Daniel have to stay? With the king back at court. Um, so Daniel influences the king to promote his friends, promote my companions, they can be over the province. And that meant that they can probably be out in the province. And that might do two things. It would give them authority and position and help them. But Daniel knows Nebuchadnezzar. 
And remember what I said about Nebuchadnezzar? That when he called people in, I think they kind of shuddered. I know I would have. And so he kind of, I, I wonder if he wanted them out of the king's line of vision. Give them a high position, but not here at court. I'll take care of the king. You guys, though, maybe we'll get you across the street at least. So, um, so we'll see. So, uh, um, and then we come into the, the next, immediately the next chapter. So, but before we go there, um, any, 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 any comments, questions about chapter two? And the, the dream of the king. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.